All said. Well, it sure is amazing how much things can change in Wolfpack Nation in, in one week. Uh, last week we were sitting here talking about uh, the news about our quarterback, and this week we have plenty of great positive things to talk about. Uh, NC State football blows the doors off of Wake Forest in Winston-Salem. Uh, women's basketball beats UConn. We'll talk about both of those uh, here on this edition of the Lotcast. Thanks for joining us here for this another edition. Uh, as I don't know how to English properly. Uh, but uh, Trey with you alongside Alec, Assad, and Joel back with us this week. And guys, uh, let's just get right into that football game. I said it to you guys after that. I thought, I'm trying to recall one. That I think it may have been the most dominant game against an ACC opponent that I can recall since the 13 nothing UNC game many years ago. Yeah, I think there was a game at BC two years ago or maybe three that was one of the most comfortable wins uh, that I've uh, ever seen, <laughs> in the, especially for a conference game. But uh, it turns out Winston-Salem is a house of happiness this week. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I was pleasantly surprised, but I thought we were going to win, but uh, just the way that we won and the, the, the dominance of the defense was just incredible. I mean, and, you know, we haven't had a lot of success in, in Winston-Salem, but that's, you know, it's a good, it's good to get that win. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think we're going to go, I think we're going to build some momentum from here. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it was, it was telling right away, I think how much state overmatched Wake Forest, um, which, you know, I you knew, I thought you might see, State was the better football team. I think you know most people expected that, but I mean they they dominated them player for player. You know, I mean Wake had has had so many good receivers come through there over the over the years and last couple of years, and um you know ones that have caused State a ton of problems. And you know there was no separation. There was you know State played a bunch of man coverage, cover zero in that game, and you know there was there was there was nothing for them to do about it, and they couldn't run the ball at all. Savion Jackson was dominant. Defensive line was immovable. State won at the point of attack. It won. In, it won in the defensive backfield. Uh, it was. It was all around good. It really, really wasn't anything bad other than a couple of missed field goals. I mean, they they dominated every aspect of the game. Um, and I really, really liked the way that they handled bringing Armstrong back, and the way that they handled running the offense in this game. Is they really they really kept things pretty simple. And they built around his strengths. And that's something that, that can go sideways for you if you start making mistakes and you start getting in third and longs and getting behind. But they ran the ball well enough that they never did that. So they were able to stay ahead of schedule. They were able to run the ball. They were able to get him outside of the pocket, give him simple passing reads. And, you know, it worked. And he, you know, he just has to, has to make the play. It's, it's, a lot, you know, it's a lot simpler to execute. And uh, they really worked him back in really well, I thought. And um, he's obviously a really good runner. And they did a lot of good quarterback run stuff. Uh, he's a guy that can run in space. He was not necessarily the most shifty person, shiftiest, one of those words. But he can run through guys, too. Um, and he, you know, he was good in space. And, you know, the offensive line had its best game of the year. So, really, yeah. it was just all around really good stuff. Since it seems to be a lot cast tradition to bring him up on every podcast or every <laughs> podcast, uh, how happy were you that Sam Hartman wasn't on the field for Wake Forest? Also, how happy were you that A.T. Perry wasn't on the field for Wake Forest? We would have won if Sam Hartman was there. 
it would with, with that defensive performance yeah yeah they they probably would have won um especially considering you know anytime Sam Martin has been in a Wake Forest jersey how much he's struggled against NC State in the last couple of years uh but it was very uh telling just how much of an edge the defense came in with they didn't want to give an inch to this team so Dave said it in the presser leading up to it because somebody asked him why was it so why has it been so difficult for you to win there and I mean it's a fair question and he said if I knew the answer I we would have won there more often but he just said we can't leave it up to chance he said it needs to be definitive like you can't put it in a 50-50 call where you'll, you leave it up to the officials and you have to make it to where it is uh, unquestionably uh, lopsided in, in your favor and lopsided is definitely how you can describe the rushing attack because I, I don't think I can remember uh, such a one-sided rushing game uh, from in favor of NC State in the past. Yeah, and you talk about losing in Winston-Salem is an interesting discussion because it's fun to go back and think about. Like, it, it adds some context to go back and think about you know why that's been the case. And you know each has its, its own individual reasoning, but part of it is you look at 2013 and 2019 when State was awful. Right, both both of those years they played in Winston-Salem. But they lost 15 ACC games in those 16 years. Mm-hmm. They won in 15. In 17, right, they played a team that had a really strong air attack. Right, They could throw the ball all over the field, and that was a state team that had a terrible secondary. It was a poor matchup. Yeah. Um, and a, a decent Wake team. And then in 2021, that was the best Wake team since at least the ACC championship team. You lose by three points. So I think it's a little bit more happenstance than anything at, else. At Atlantic winner, uh, Wake Forest that year. Yeah, yeah, eleven win team. Uh, to me, it's the weirdest ACC championship game that there's ever been. Wake Forest, yeah. and Pitt. or ever will be. Yeah, yeah, it should have been us. We should have been there. But um, it is nice to to just put that away. Um, you know, State was the better team, and they played like it the whole game. And mm-hmm. uh, that's something that happens more under Doran than he gets credit for. I think people really like to remember uh, the the Boston College game last year and examples like that. But when State's the better team, it usually wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, again, uh, the biggest thing, yes, yeah, for me, is the biggest takeaway is the offensive line plays just continues to improve. Uh, I think this is easily the best run-blocking game of the year. Uh, that's something that's, that's getting better and better as the season goes on, and there's only two games left. But... I think State's going to have to be able to continue to run the ball these last two games, or it's going to really struggle to put points up. Uh, and so positive signs here. I know Virginia Tech poses a little bit more of a of a challenge there, but uh, we're moving in the right direction at least. I'm really happy for Savion Jackson because, you know, Dave has talked about a few guys that have really waited their turn, and he's – waited for a few years to be one of the premier guys. And then even uh, transfer Corey Durden comes in and plays ahead of him. And now he is, you know, basically the dude on that side of the line and he's really making it count. So, you know, it's nice to get somebody who was such a high pedigree recruit like he was that stuck it out for the last few years and is now paying off for him. Yeah, he's just a beast in every way. He's I've said this a couple of times. He's the most underrated player on the whole defense. And that whole defensive line is underrated because their role does not put up stats. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. But they're the they're the, the core of that defense. Without them, right, it doesn't work. 
without you know 300 pound guys they should they should have like a like a stat for like inches moved by the offensive <laughs> line on running because then you would see Savion Jackson start to inches or yards or feet whatever you want to do pushed on counter plays by the defensive end <laughs> like let's let's see what that looks like because that number is going to be scary you know that dude is there's a play where you know you get you know you get your your, your counter where the 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 left side of the offensive line is trying to drive Jackson, you know, away from the the point of attack on that play. There's one that really stuck out to me where he attacks the gap, the start of the play and is sealed inside and actually fights back outside to squeeze yeah. down the play. And the whole time, uh, I think it was CJ Clark at nose has got two guys on him and he never even moves his feet. He just stands still. Basically he's not even being, I mean, they just eat double teams. I mean, those guys are so good. They are so good. You want something really, really scary is is the fact that yeah we'll probably lose Savion Jackson. We will lose Savion Jackson, but if everybody else on that defensive line sticks around, your starting defensive line next year could be Davin Van, Brandon Cleveland, Red Hibbler. Well, That's I think CJ Clark is gone. I think he's is he a senior? I actually forgot. Um, not sure. I think Jackson because he came in the same class as Jackson, but I don't remember if he redshirted or not. That's another guy, though, that I got to see play in high school was Savion Jackson. He and Devin Carter were on that same Clayton High School team. So had the chance to see them both and uh, knew they were going to be special kids. Yeah, I think this week needs to be the shout-out to the the lines week for offensive line and defensive line. Both played really, really strong games. C.J. Clark is a redshirt junior. Oh, okay. So we need, uh, maybe we need, if we're talking offensive line, maybe we need Alex G on more often to talk about the <laughs> offensive line. Yes. And, uh, so he, he redshirted, but uh, Savion is a true senior. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Got so it. we do lose Jackson. Jackson might be my favorite player on the defense. He's just so good. Um, that's going to be sad to see him go. But it is, like you mentioned, Trey, like even if you lose Clark and um, what is Van, a true junior? Um that's still a pretty, pretty sound group you got coming back, and yeah, they have a junior. It's a well recruited unit, and it's a well developed yeah. unit, and that's a big key because you know if you don't have the right people in there, you're going to get, you know, they're they're going to give up a lot of explosive plays if those guys get moved around a lot, you know, with a three a three man front like that. So, um, yeah, that group uh, needs its flowers for sure. It's well, really one important. Thing that I thought, oh, go ahead, Joel. Sorry. It's really important when you're playing the three-three-five to have a defensive line that doesn't get pushed around or moved around. And I think you know, I think we're doing a really good job of not not had let, not letting that happen. Actually, uh, it's been it's been that way for a while that we've had a lot of good defensive linemen. Yeah, I like Hibbler because he's he's big enough to to play that role, but he's also a pass rusher. Right? Those guys don't come yeah. around super often. Davin Van is is to a degree. I think Hibbler's a better pass rusher. But you don't. I mean, you get a lot of these pass rushers that play at two sixty. You know, these guys are playing north of two eighty, two ninety. Like it's it's a it's a like I said, you can't get guys like that unless you have good scouting, good strength and conditioning, and good recruiting. Because other people are going to find those guys too. So they've done a really good job with that. I also like how Red Hibbler likes to have birthday parties in the backfield, according to uh, one Alec over there. In the... <laughs> that was a great party, man. <laughs> we should have more of those. Yeah, so yeah, interestingly enough, I also wanted to talk a little bit about Brendan Armstrong and the offense because 
obviously people were a little bit, uh, we, I was excited for Brennan. There were some people that were a little worried. Was it going to be the same Brennan? Was it going to be a different Brennan? And curious for your thoughts, because obviously right away, State comes out. They have the big run play from KC to set him up. And then Brennan Armstrong, actually, I, I, I was surprised to read it was the first career touchdown for Julian Gray. But Brennan Armstrong to Julian Gray for a touchdown gets it going. And Brennan didn't have to do a whole lot through the air. Led the team in rushing again. But what were your thoughts on, on Brennan Armstrong's performance overall in his return to the lineup? I think that that was Gray's first offensive touchdown because he has a because yeah. he has a, oh, a special team touchdown already. Um, but yeah, that that is surprising, but it just shows you how few red zone targets he's gotten, uh, and you know maybe this will lead to more for him. I, I think it's to Armstrong's benefit that he sat out, and it forced Robert and I and the rest of the staff to develop easy motion passing for MJ Morris. And then they kind of just took that and, and handed it over to Armstrong because the passes they did ask him to throw were much more simplified than what we were seeing earlier on in the season. So he didn't have to throw a whole lot. He only attempted 17 passes, but he still completed 12 of them. And the, the ones that he did, and I think half of them were at the line of scrimmage or behind. So like, uh, so it was very few downfield passes that that he had to complete and i don't think there was one greater than 10 yards like through the air um so you know it's but they were they were all relatively basic pitch and catch throws the one really impressive throw was the touchdown throw to gray because that was uh one where he had to the the motion of that play was really smart because he had to to draw that second level defender to make a decision and then he threw it straight on to the back shoulder or to the outside shoulder of, of gray. So that, that was a, a much more accurate throw than what we've seen from him in the past. Anybody else? It was, it was, it was a really good throw. I, I thought that was a really good throw to Julian gray, but you know, I think, I think Brennan played, he played with a little more confidence. I think maybe he had a little something to prove. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he played with more confidence and, uh, you know, he did the, the offensive line played really, really well. So he didn't have to run for his life through, you know, the, the game. So he, I think he did a really good job with that. And I think he's, I think he understands what he's, what his limitations are going forward. So if that's the case and Robert and I can keep calling plays that, uh, that gives him an opportunity to throw passes that, uh, that are not difficult. I think we can, I think we can build on that. I love this quote after the game. And they asked him uh, what he was going to do to celebrate. And he says, well, I'm old enough to drink, right? I'm going to go open yeah. a couple of brewskis. <laughs> yeah, with his folks, he said. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I think both, those are those are both very – no, I agree with both those points. I think they were perfectly said. Um, it was – you know, they called a game that, you know, made things easy for him. And, you know, being able to run the ball helps do that. You know, they are, I think they are going to have to ask more of him uh, they're going to have to have more true dropbacks uh, against Virginia Tech. I expect that to be a closer game. Uh, but you know, he he is he was a more confident player. I think I think part of that has to do with the fact that it was you know it was simplified for me. He had two passes. I think there was only two passes of more than ten air yards thrown in this game. Um, I may be forgetting one. They're, they're both completions though, and the one was the touchdown. Yeah, yeah, I just um, remembered the other one was that long throw that Dakari Collins stretched out for, which was yeah. uh, high, and he it was a good catch on his part to get it, but it, it still was, uh, it was accurate. That that was a really good throw. 
That was about, that was 28, 28 yards, which is good. And that's a that's a, a really simple read for Brennan, right? It's it's a one player read and he's on the move. So if it breaks down, he can just, you know, do what he does best and run. And I think that's what I really liked about this game is it it got him in positions where he wasn't standing in the pocket, you know, and then when he when he starts to feel the pressure, right, he gets in into trouble and has to make a decision of, you know, keep your eyes downfield or or, or figure out a way out of this. He's already moving, right? You know, if, if it's not there, just tuck it. I thought he was a, a more confident player for sure, and I thought that the offense really worked around him in its uh, schematics. It just seemed like everything was going wrong for him before. Like when he, you know, the first four, three or four games when he was starting, it just seemed like everything went wrong for him, except for the running. Uh, but as far as throwing the ball, he just really didn't do very much. But I think now he's completed a few passes, made a couple of good throws. Uh, he'll get some more confidence and. Uh, hopefully he'll going forward he'll he'll make better throws and he'll be able to throw the ball down the field a little better. And I think some of that has to do with what we talked about a little bit. I know you weren't here last Joel, but one thing we we touched on a little bit was you know Brennan's ability to to see the offense for four weeks on the sidelines, and then also uh, Doctor Bob having the personnel that he wants on the uh, on the offensive end. Uh, and having the ability to you know this, these are the playmakers get the ball to these guys, and I think that is extremely beneficial to Brennan. And part of the reason why I think uh, his struggles were where they were, in my opinion, early in the year is because we didn't really know who outside of one Kevin Concepcion uh, was going to be the the figures in the, in the offense for NC State. Yeah, I think they're starting to get the backs figured out a little bit too. And, you know, I hope Michael Allen can get back healthy. I don't know how serious that injury ended up being, but I really like the usage boosts for Raphael and obviously Casey really starting with the Marshall game. And I think what you're doing with that is you're just getting guys in that have a little bit more explosiveness, have a little more boot or um, a little bit more um, burst, excuse me, uh, to their cuts. Uh, and it, what it does is it maximizes blocking, right? So, you know, you, you get your blocking at right? your, your, your reads based on blocking leverage and your holes, right? Those are not open forever, right? You got to make that cut you got to explode through it. And I think that's something that Raphael does a little bit better job of uh, than what we've seen from really Allen and Mims to this point. And I think that's why they added KC in as well uh, and really tried to make him a component of this, right? Because he is a much more explosive and a much quicker player than, um, you know, some of the guys that State was starting with at running back. And, you know, I think it's it's like you said, Trey, like they're sifting through what personnel they have and they're, you know, figuring out what works where and, uh, that's a that's a process, and you know I think they're in a, a much better place now than they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and for NC State, like you said, they they go to Winston Salem at. I'm trying to make sure I pronounce this correctly. A legacy field, and <laughs> they get it done at, at Wake Forest, which we've all seen the the stat by now. The quarterbacks that have won at Winston Salem since 2000, I believe it's Philip Rivers, Kobe Brissett, Brennan Armstrong. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, Brendan Armstrong in some rarefied air there. But I wanted to talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about the defense real fast here. I, I know we touched on Savion Jackson, but how about the play of Jalen Scott lately? I mean, he had the pick two to seal it. Uh, yeah, that was a great and, play. Uh, just unbelievable uh, the way he's been playing lately uh, in that linebacker role and and. You know, we talked about Peyton Wilson, and obviously Peyton Wilson nominated for the Nagurski as the best defensive player in college football. But uh, if we're talking the linebacking core as a whole, 
around Peyton Wilson, it really feels like they've all grown this year. They've definitely He's really, gotten, yeah. Yeah, they, go ahead, Joel. They've definitely gotten better. Jalen Scott, uh, I have a, a interest in him because he's from uh, he's from my hometown, so uh, it's good to see him playing that way. I mean, you know, it's, he's he's been there a while. He's, he's put in his time. He waited for his chance, and I think he's really making the most of it this year. He's you know he's he made a lot of tackles, and how many times have we seen a pick two, a hundred yard pick two return? I mean, from a just linebacker, a, less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from a linebacker. He was almost out of gas at the very end, though. He was. He, 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 he said. He, he said online that that he was gassed. Yeah, he <laughs> was struggling to make it in, but he did. So I thought that play was kind of representative of the whole game for State. That they 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 blew it open at the beginning, and then the back half of it, and they were just kind of you know, dragging to get to the finish line. Um, yeah, he uh, he was basically walking at the end. Yeah. <laughs> But he got there. He did. He yeah. did. I can't recall the last time I've seen a pick two, though, at NC State. Can anybody else recall their time? Did Was there a Terrence Holt pick two one time? I feel like there was. I don't remember. Yeah, no? I don't remember. I don't remember the last time I've seen one at all in, in college. It's yeah. The, they're, they're extremely hard to do. And he was like two yards deep. Yeah, it was into like the 102 yards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Took I, it all I don't the way. want, like, I remember Terrence Holt blocked a either a game winning field goal or a game winning game tying extra point. Yeah. I but I can't remember if if that result resulted in a pick two the other way. I'll have to go back and look at that after this. But yeah, I think maybe at that time you could take a block kick back for two. But that I don't think that rule is there anymore. Can can you? you can, it was, yeah. it was, although you couldn't take it back. Yeah. Um, do you guys think that? Jalen Scott got when he got to about the forty yard line. He was like, "Man, I should have just taken a knee." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the anchor man, anchor man. I, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> I, if I was Jalen Scott in that position, I would have said, "Yeah, I'm exhausted, but heck, I want to do this." 102 yards. Yeah. You kidding me? <laughs> made it. I made it. Um, <laughs> well, about how tired he was. <laughs> Yeah, he was just like when you saw him over there. It was almost like he was in shock that he actually made it to the end zone all the way. It's like he was just in shock yeah. that, that he was able to bring it back all that way. Yeah, yeah. But overall, the you can't really say enough about this run defense. And and really, the linebacking core is helping the rush defense specifically. It really just stifled anything that Wake Forest wanted to do with the, that dumb mesh offense that I just hope gets shot into the sun. Uh, it's so it's so annoying. Hey, but... it, just, it can't be worse than what Syracuse did on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, NC State is third in the league in rush defense, um, close second behind Louisville. So, you know, it's, um, you know, they're, they're in the top three or four in almost every defensive statistical category. You know, I, I, I dare to say that the defense is better than last year's. I, I don't know. It's a conversation we can have, but statistically it really does seem, especially in the, in the yeah. back half of the season, the last like five, six games, they have really, really come together. Yeah. Scott, Scott has been, you know, say doesn't win the Miami game without 
if you replaced Jalen Scott with just an average linebacker in the Miami game, Wait State loses that game. Yeah. He made two monster plays in that game, touchdown saving plays, both inside the five yard line. Uh, knocked down a pass at the line of scrimmage that should have definitely been a touchdown. And then he was the guy that first blew up the fourth down play against against Miami right on the, mm-hmm. on the two yard line or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's really good. And it's a testament to the coaching staff that he is really good. Um, you know, they keep finding finding guys. Um, regarding the defense being better than last year, that is a fascinating discussion. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think we can uh, overall. I don't think I don't think it's competitive because this team's given up forty plus twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it's playing at an extremely high level for sure. Um, as good as Jalen Scott has been, you know, he's not Drake Thomas and he's not Isaiah Moore. Um, and I think that, you know, Dirty Pitts, guys like that, that were, you know, the third quarterback, you know, you miss guys like that. Tanner um, Ingle. Do what? Tanner Ingle. Yeah, yeah. Tanner Ingle was just a different kind of player. So I, I would definitely think it's not better. I also think the last three offenses they've played have been pretty crap. Um, Clemson has obviously struggled. Wake's offense is uh, – their offensive line is a, a, a Swiss cheese, more or less. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I would be interested to hear what you guys think about that. Um, yeah, how do you think they stack up? I think the – I'll look at the Notre Dame game before the Marshall game. I looked at that and I was like, that's an anomaly. You know, we don't give up that many points very often. You know, it was a weird game with the delay and Notre Dame just had a lot of big plays and maybe the defense wasn't in their head. And then the Marshall game happened. And I was like, okay, something weird's going on with this defense. This isn't normal. And then they've really kind of turned it around. I think, you know, Miami typically known for having an explosive offense. We talked about it last week. The only team to hold Miami under 20 points all year is still NC State. Is Florida State allowed 20 last week? So, and well under 20. It's true, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was probably their best defensive performance of the year until this week. Defense is getting hot at the right time because without looking past what's happening this Saturday, we know who's coming to town next Saturday and the kind of offense that they have. So, this defense is getting hot at the right time. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll obviously face a dual-threat quarterback this week, which is always seeming to be NC State's worst nightmare. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Sort of. Uh, sort of. But, you know, you, you bring up Drake Thomas, and, and he was yeah. like the, the mobile quarterback neutralizer for a long time. And, yeah. um, I you know, they asked Dave about that this week, and, and he said, we've seen a lot of mobile quarterbacks, and I think they've learned over time and Tony Gibson has, has gotten really good at scheming around the uh, mobile quarterbacks. We haven't actually, I think we're, we're just, uh, you know, our, our memories are burnt from getting <laughs> killed by a lot of mobile quarterbacks in the past, but really yeah. like in the last like three, four years, there hasn't been a lot of mobile quarterbacks that have really torched NC State well, through the air and on the ground. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember pretty vividly that Thursday night game we had with Louisville. We were both ranked in the top 25, and it was Lamar Jackson, obviously, mm-hmm. and the very first play of the game, very first <laughs> play of the game, Bradley Chubb sat Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously Bradley Chubb is a, is not human, but, I mean, neither is Lamar Jackson. So That's the greatest Carter Finley performance from the fans in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, NC State will uh, go to Virginia Tech on Saturday up in Blacksburg. You can find our picks for that on Trinity Road time uh, later this week. But there was uh, it was a great weekend for Wolfpack Nation because after that Wake win, we all got to see on national TV the second most viewed basketball game of the weekend, NC State and UConn. And NC State not only beats the number two ranked UConn Huskies, they they dominated them pretty much from the second quarter on. It was all NC State. Really good performance for Wes Moore and company. This looks like a team that just like they're having fun together and just looks like an all-around dynamic basketball team. Your thoughts on the UConn win? Sanaya Rivers is a star. You know, yeah, she she came in as a, a very highly talented recruit and uh, really showed well um, last year. And you know, but was playing behind a, a lot of veterans. Uh, but really, kind of got handed the keys this year. Clearly, um, you know, scoring thirty three points against the number two team in the country is no small feat. So it. Um, was just really impressive to see, but uh, it really seemed like Westmore had really played well. The nobody believes in us card, which you know is like a, a you know a, a never ending fountain of motivation that coaches could use because they took it personally that they weren't ranked in the preseason, so they won convincingly in their first game and really wanted to set the tone because they knew that a high-profile opponent like UConn doesn't come to Raleigh that often. So it, it really was a statement for them. Yeah, it was a neutral site game in Reynolds Coliseum, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that poster. Welcome to our neutral site game. I love that. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Rivers is just, she's, she's so explosive, and she's so, she has so, so much length. She's a really good finisher at the rim. And one thing that she think she made a couple threes in this game. I don't remember her having a great three-point jump shot last year. No. Um, you know, that's something that, that will stretch that defense, right, that will draw defenders out and makes you so much more effective as a driver. She is explosive, and she's very skilled around the rim. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a problem for a lot of teams this year. And the other thing that really stood out was, was Zoe Brooks, who's a true freshman. Does yep. not look like a true freshman. She had such great handle of everything that was happening in the game right usually you get these deer in the headlights freshmen right they you know you, you get a dribble drive you get caught under the basket right things usually go badly right? do that but she threw an incredible pass all the way out to the top of the key to a wide open i don't remember who it was um you know but she just had very good you know feel for the court uh she's very calm uh and very under control and also really really good at finishing the, around the rim uh, which is, you know, awesome to see. So the guards are dynamic. Uh, the guards are very, very scary. Uh, so that's, you know, the most exciting part going forward for me. They both had awesome games. Yeah, yeah. Zoe Brooks and Maddie Cox was, is another one of the freshmen that, that came in and really played well. You know, uh, they made the point that um, Sanai Rivers had said to the reporters before the game that one of the things that she worked on the most that she knew I had identified in herself was to increase her uh, productivity from the three-point line. So she said she worked a lot in the offseason. I think it's showing now. Um, but, you know, it wasn't just her shooting. She finished with 
33 points, but 10 rebounds, five assists. I think she had two blocks also. You know, it was just an all-around stunning performance. But yeah, um, I don't know if you mentioned Asaya James, but she really helped put the game away in the fourth quarter. She had 18 points total, but 12 of them in the fourth quarter. So it was um, one of those things where they were starting to key in on on Sanaya to slow her down. Um, But um, then Uzziah really stepped in and hit some clutch free throws. Yeah, she can get downhill too. It's an explosive, you know, it's a guard group that can attack. I can create dribble penetration, which is going to be awesome. Uh, Yeah, that's a good call out as well. I, I, you know, Snyder Rivers kind of reminds me of the type of player that the men's side has had, you know, sort of in the same mold as Turquavian Smith and Darian Sebron, you know, just players that once they get a full head of steam going towards the hoop, there's, there's not much you can do to stop them. Yeah. Sebron is a good comp for sure. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too. Yeah. I mean, I was going to mention the, the freshmen, they, they really played very well and in a big game like that with all that atmosphere and, you know, Reynolds Coliseum was electric and, you know, and, and even, you know, another thing is like River River Baldwin, you know, didn't score a lot of points, played really, really good defense, threw several charges, uh, rebounded the ball. I mean, so it was a it was a total effort. But, you know, Sonia Rivers is just she was just unstoppable, just unstoppable. And you mentioned something there about Reynolds being loud. Uh, if you go back to the beginning of the telecast and they have the overhead shot of UConn in the huddle, you can see Paige Becker's mouthing something. And I'm not an expert lip reader, but I could tell she she said the word loud a couple times to the Husky. <laughs> so they knew it. They, 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 they knew it was loud in there. I'm trying to recall. I, I have not been to a game in Reynolds in a very, very long time. I think when I was very, very little – before what was then known as the ESA Open, now PNC Arena, I went to a state basketball game in Reynolds. But So it's been a long time. But just for anybody who's been in there, how loud does it can it be in there? Now, obviously, I'm asking that as a question for somebody that hasn't had a chance to go there in a long time. And, but what, I guess let me ask it this way. What makes Reynolds such a difference for NC State in terms of a home court advantage? I think it's it's a mosh pit. It's like it's really small and tight, and it's it's just it's it's a college arena, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really you know you're on top of the game. You sit on the upper well, there's not an upper. You sit on the the top, and you're still like really really close to the court. Uh, and sound travels a lot. So I was there for the Louisville comeback. Um, was it two years ago? And that it was pretty loud then. Um, but the, the sound traveling is the thing that always stuck with me because my first game I went to in Reynolds as a student was against Charleston Southern. And uh, I was in the student section and there was a guy way behind us who was being loud. And uh, there was this guy who was balding uh, for Charleston Southern who shot a free throw and he missed it. And this guy goes, he yells like something like, um, Hey, what about that hairline or something like that? <laughs> and you could hear it all the way on the other side of the of the arena. You could hear it the whole way across. I mean, the guy heard it for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I was like, you know, twenty five yards from the guy, and I mean, it was like, so yeah. I mean, it's 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 built to be loud, and it's you know, I mean, if you have not, if you're in the area, and you have not had the experience of going to 
a women's basketball game in Reynolds Coliseum, you are missing out. And you need to do that because it is an incredible experience. It is such a fun experience. They're really damn good. And uh, they they deserve to yeah. sell every game. And that place, when it sells out, is a time and a half. Yeah, one of my favorite stories, um, you know, that, that I've heard about Reynolds was Jay Billis was talking about from his time playing at Duke. He tells this, he told a story one time that um, he was, I don't know, one, one, maybe it's like a sophomore year, one of his first trips to Reynolds. He said it was so loud in there and they were in a timeout in the huddle. Coach K is screaming his head off at them. And he said, Coach K was only maybe a foot or two away from him and he could not hear what he was saying. That's how loud it was in there. Just because, the angle of the seats just makes the crowd feel like they're right on top of the court. And yeah. it's one of those things where I just wish that the building of Reynolds was somewhere a little bit more logistically convenient for handling all the traffic and the flow of people because, you know, it's it's just a shame that you can't play conference games in that building anymore for the, for the men's side. Yeah, nope. I still think we should do a, a at least... <clears throat> Maybe just one time, one year we do it where we play the state UNC games in Reynolds and Carmichael. Just one time, just to mm-hmm. just to have that experience one more time. But the last time I was in Reynolds, this is you're probably not going to believe this was during the Les Robinson era, and actually we actually won that game, and that's something to say because we didn't win very many games back then. <laughs> yeah, but we 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 beat Georgia Tech and uh, and. I remember Lakeista McCuller had a really big game that game. So he scored like 20-some points. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that that's the last time I was in Reynolds. So it's been a long time. I haven't seen it since they redid it. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. It looks beautiful on TV. And it was a really nice – I mean, then when I went, it was like – it wasn't what I thought it was going to be from seeing it on TV, you know. But it was it was really – there was really a lot – it gave you a feeling of a lot of tradition there. And you could see – you know, yeah. there was a, there was a lot of fans there even, even then, you know, to support them. And it was loud that game, you know. Mm-hmm. If any, like, you know, tacking on to what Alex said, if anybody has a chance to go, you know, Joel, you're talking about sensing the tradition that's there. They've actually really embraced that since the remodel because the concourse is basically – just a, a walking museum of NC state basketball history now. And with all the glass cases and memorabilia that's in there, they really took their time and, and did it right. So it, it, you can spend time, you know, during halftime or between the quarters kind of walk in the hallways and they, they didn't lose any of the, the way that the, the sound travels in, in the building. And uh, it's, it, you know, it's obviously it's, it's a, it's a great place to, to see a game. Highly recommend it. And I know the, the men's team has their game coming up there not too far down the road, right? They've got a game coming up there because the David Thompson statue uh, will be uh, will be unveiled uh, during that night. And uh, let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about the women's team before we touch on the men's team. Uh, it's early, obviously, but we saw we saw the potential with Wes Moore in this team. Where do we think this team has the ability to go this year? I mean, they beat the crap out of UConn, so anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at, look at the ACC and the, on the women's side as a whole. We know Virginia Tech is the favorite. We know they're good. Uh, we know that, that UNC is going to be pretty good. We know that Florida State's going to be pretty good on the women's side. 
this does this team seems like they've got a solid chance to contend for the ACC title. So beyond the ACC title, when March rolls around, you know, what would be a disappointing finish for this team in March and what would be uh, outside of winning the national championship? <laughs> yeah, a solid a solid run in your eyes. It's it's hard to predict that far in advance. Right, yeah. Based on this I mean if they can keep this up you know, because we know Louisville is also another team that's always really good on the women's side. So uh, the ACC is is underrated in how good of a, a women's basketball conference it is. And but yeah. I, th- I think they can easily be a top three team in the conference um, and contend for at least a conference championship in a year that was supposed to be a transition year for this team with uh, all the the new incomer incoming players they had. Um, but Making the NCAA tournament is an expectation that they that they should have, and and at least getting out of the first weekend um, is something that they've done in the last few years. So uh, beyond that, it, it's really tough. That the top end of of the women's game is is really tough as the last crop of players that was uh, so highly talented and and uh, experienced faced. Uh, you know, they made it to the Elite Eight, but it, that was that was a challenge. Well, think about how good the ACC is now, and then add Stanford to it next year in women's basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'll be great. Yeah, yeah that'll... It's, it's a really difficult league, uh, and I think you need more you need more data points for state to be able to say, you know, what if you want to set a benchmark for what should they be able to do? You know, two what was it three games into the year now? I mean, obviously they obliterated Elon. I don't think that tells you very much other than that that they're a lot better than Elon. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I don't think you could have a more encouraging first major result than that. So if that's the team they're going to be, I mean, there's there's nothing in front of them that they can't but get to. But Sinai Rivers isn't going to score 33 points a game. So, you I don't know, think she has to, though. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. There. I, I, do, I do think, you know, just to be a little bit more realistic, that they got some friendly home whistles from the ref. Uh, in you know in that game, so you know just just to be honest, uh, there was a few calls that were fifty fifty calls that normally we would see go against NC State. It was kind of bracing, but uh, you know the, the, a lot of the UConn players um, were getting frustrated that they were getting called for ticky tack fouls, and it really seemed like the refs weren't letting them play. But it was you know NC State was able to secure a lot of the game from the free throw line. Well, give me one one second. I'm gonna go grab this this violin for them. It's <laughs> here somewhere. I gotta get out my microscope to find it. I got it's like it's only about like quarter inch long, but I'll play them a tune for it. And um, when they're a two seed this year and they host a game in the Elite Eight, they can they can play that as their walkout music if they want to. Yeah, when they play um, they play Iowa in the uh, in the Sweet Sixteen in Bridgeport this year, I guarantee you the Iowa fans would be just as irate mm-hmm. as, as Yeah. Yeah, I mean you do you do need I mean, you know, it's 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 still one game. Right. You say that when you lose, oh it's just one game. It still applies when you when you get a big win like this. It is just one game. You're right, you know, Sonia Rivers is not gonna average thirty three points. But she is going to be able to create dribble penetration, I think, against almost mm-hmm. any team they face. And it's more the the you know I think it's you look at that as you know something you can build offense around consistently. So very very I think this team has a supremely high ceiling. But yes, you know we need some more data points to you know say you know what what a realistic expectation going forward might be. But uh, we'll definitely get some soon. 
It, it's hard to yeah, say. So- it's hard to say where they're going, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if they were an Elite Eight team. I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, oh, yeah. it's hard to say right yeah. now because it's it's early in the year, and you know they're going to have some they're going to have some games that are going to be tough, and but we'll see where they're going to go with it. Yeah, so certainly a long way to go for women's basketball, but a great week for them. And uh, they've made it all the way to number 14 in the rankings. So Sanaya Rivers got her wish and then some. That team is more than ranked now. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to, to number 14 with that with that victory. Uh, a couple things I wanted to touch on before we get to uh, maybe talking a little bit about men's basketball and then our question of the day. Wrestling ranked number two in the nation. Uh, really good what the wrestling team is, is doing right now. That's also what I'm told is an amazing experience at Reynolds, is going to a wrestling match in Reynolds as well. I've heard that is an unbelievable uh, experience. Uh, all of those sports are doing really well. Wrestling, we know track and field, girls track and field specifically is dominant. Swimming and diving should be really good again this year. Volleyball so, coming back too. Volleyball, yeah. yeah. So everything really turned in a corner for, for NC State. Uh, in that regard, we mentioned awards as well. Um, Peyton Wilson, we mentioned one of the five finalists for the Nagurski Trophy as the top defensive player in college football. I think he's going to win. I don't know how you guys feel if you guys have seen any of the other nominees, but I think I think Peyton will will be the Nagurski winner this year. Hopefully, he he's also up for the bucket, and, and we'll see if maybe he comes home with two trophies this year. I think that they should nominate the Nagurski Trophy for Peyton Wilson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the best defense player in the country. I mean, I, I'm just gonna. I mean, I haven't watched these other guys. I'm wildly biased. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he's he's pretty good. You know, I think he's he's pretty good. Yeah, so it's uh um an Iowa cornerback in yeah, Illinois. Specify with that, Cooper DeGene from Iowa actually suffered an injury in practice on Wednesday. Oh wow. And is- Miss the remainder of the regular season, though. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um, you know it's three secondary players. Uh, um, so Georgia safety, a Notre Dame safety, and the cornerback for Iowa, and um, a Illinois defensive tackle. So you know it's it's a spread around uh, amount of uh, positions. He's the only linebacker in the crew, but. I don't know where he he stands tackles wise around the country um, in terms of total tackles or tackles for loss or tackles per game, but I I would have to imagine he's towards the top. Of him chasing down the Notre Dame running back in that Notre Dame game, yeah, all you know, that's it. Yeah, so he has to his favor. They always talk about for the Heisman to have like the Heisman moment. So he has a lot of those highlight moments that you you could put together like you know, a one minute highlight reel and you'd have your pick of a lot of plays from this year. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the Heisman, I have no idea who's gonna win that this year. But uh uh maybe we could maybe we could nominate Kevin Concepcion for the Heisman trophy. <laughs> Peyton Wilson. Yeah, give it to Peyton. Yeah. Why not? Give it to Snyder Rivers. Best in football, <laughs> I think if we go to Sanaya Rivers. There you go. <laughs> but uh, do, do we think really I don't see how he can't be. And you know, if he's if he's a if he's one of the five finalists for the overall defensive player in the country, and he's the only linebacker nominated, I think that's probably telling who who's the in well, line to win the buckets. Mm-hmm. NC State's had two previous players nominated for the Nagurski. One of them has won it. 
LeVar Fisher and Bradley Chubb are the other two that have been nominated. Bradley Chubb won the Nagurski Trophy as the best defensive player in college football. Not really a surprise. You know, we retired mm. Bradley Chubb's jersey. So, uh, I mean, he, he clearly was a, a great player for NC State. Uh, and NC State, if Wilson wins it, would enter into some pretty rare territory. There's only a few teams that have multiple Nagurski Trophy winners. So they would enter into some very rare air uh, should Peyton Wilson win that. Speaking of awards, Tony Gibson uh, is up for the Broyles Award as the best assistant coach in college football. I think he's the best defensive coordinator in the country. And there are people that are really taking notice of our defense. Um, but that one's a little bit harder to to figure out because there's still 57 coaches that are up for that award right now. But he's uh, he at least a semifinalist, I believe, for that award. And uh, uh, just what a job he's done. We talked about that with that defense this year. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting, um, just going back, to, to see if Peyton wins either the Nagurski or the Butkus, you know, because uh, it really would point to how well Dave Dorn has developed his players because if, if he ends up winning, he would have two Nagurski winners and a Buckus winner and a Remington award winner for Garrett Bradbury with the best center in the country and a Lou Groza winner for the best kicker in the country. We were going to talk about men's basketball a little bit as well because we, we were running a little short on time here. Real quick before we get to our question of the day, uh, only a few games into the men's basketball season, um, but what are your observations so far? I'm encouraged so far. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they played, I didn't think they were going to play as well as they did against Abilene Christian. They're a pretty good basketball team. They beat Oklahoma state, but that game really wasn't, it was pretty comfortable the whole way through. There, there wasn't really any time when I felt like we were, we were going to, you know, do what we usually do and let them come back and, and get into the game. So we never really let them do that. I mean, we're, th- we're, we're the ball, the, the scoring is being passed around between different people. Uh, it's not the same guy every night, uh, but and I think the to me the the, the best player that's the, the, that's having the most impact is Muhammad Diarra. I, I just really think that he's he's a really good basketball player. He's doing a lot of really good things for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think he might be the big that Keats has been looking for since he first got here. He's had variations of it, guys that were close. You know, I didn't. I did not get a chance to watch the entire Abilene Christian game, but you know, Diara was two for six from three in the first game. You, you think uh, he's he's willing to shoot the ball? I know he didn't shoot any um, in game two, uh, but this is a guy right that that's athletic, right? That can move, that has length to him, right? This is a guy that can switch defensively. Uh, you know, he can run true pick and roll, rim runs, things like that. Um, you you know. Those are big things that, that we've had to some degree, but not necessarily guys that have been able to stretch the floor offensively. So Omar Yurt's having to stretch the floor, but he couldn't switch at all. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy like Thunderbird could switch, but he couldn't shoot to save his life, uh, even though he insisted that he could. Um, <laughs> you know, if Diara is going to become a guy who can stretch the floor, you can pick and pop with, uh, you can have him on the court at the same time as DJ Burns and still space the floor with him. Somebody did a couple of times in the first game with him in the corner, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to if he's going to be a reliable shooter or not. He certainly shot a lot in the first game and then did not in the second game, which is interesting. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. But, I, you know, this is a guy that could really transform this team just because of his ability to 
you know, simplify things defensively and, and, you know, you know, improve the pick and roll defense with the ability to switch and then also possibly spread things out while being able to stay on the floor both ways. Right. So, um, you know, when you play two bigs, you know, usually you start to have a little bit of trouble spacing the floor because, you, you know, Manny Bates is not going to get anybody concerned when he's on the wing. Uh, but a guy like DR might change that. So we'll see how that shooting develops, but that's going to be a very, very interesting storyline. Yeah, the thing with Abilene Christensen, I think we were more uh, concerned going into that game at, since they had, had beaten Oklahoma State. But I, I saw after the fact that they were missing two starters in that game. So it, it uh, Oklahoma State was. So they were in a tougher spot. Uh, so uh, you know they might rebound and end up becoming better later. But the main thing that I look for in these cupcake games early in the season is how well is the team playing together, how fundamentally sound do they all look and they all look technically sound already which which is really good and it seems like dj burns even if he uh didn't you know come into the season with that you know with a much of weight loss it i don't think it necessarily matters because he his shooting form is picking up right where he left off his footwork still is really good so you know as long as he can um keep himself out of foul trouble he he looks like he's he's going to be really good and the and the team is playing well together and they have shooting options that's the main thing so they've got multiple guys on the floor that can shoot from the outside and stretch the floor this is kind of what Kevin Keats has wanted for a long time well you heard DJ Burns you hear what he says go get your puppies grab us cement mixer and go watch <laughs> I missed this. Repeat that, please. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, did you say cement mixer? <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, definitely keep this in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, go get your puppy's grandma's cement mixer. I don't. I guess that's what I said. But go get your puppy's grandma's car and go to uh, go to PNC Arena and Wait. watch some NC State basketball. We have to clarify this. Is he saying get your puppy, your grandma, and your cement mixer, or a cement mixer that belongs to your puppy's grandma? Because <laughs> those are very different. Because I need to know which one I need to get. Right? I'm not sure which way to. Yeah. Yes. Because my puppy's grandma's cement mixer is like really far away. Like it's multiple states away. But but my cement mixer is really close. Like it's literally in a storage unit down the street. So which one is it? Oh, man. Boy, oh boy, did this take a downhill turn. <laughs> we'll, ha- we'll have to bring DJ on to have ask him to clarify. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. I got too many cement mixers. I don't, think, I don't think he actually said any of that. I'm just paraphrasing what he <laughs> tweets about, you know, getting the grandmas together to go to the NC State games. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very serious. I was like, that's not something I would write. So. <laughs> no, no. I'm about getting, getting your grandmas together and... I like that, and I like the promotion that he does for the team. But uh, let's talk about something a little bit different. Let's talk about our question of the day. What's your favorite cement mixer? <laughs> I like the ones with the cab that's, like, it's like shorter. You know, it looks like it ran into a wall. It's like a pug. A pug cement mixer. Those oh. ones are <laughs> no, uh, question of the day. I've been thinking a little bit. We had a couple of different ones, but. What is the best concert you've ever been to and the worst concert you've ever been to? Worst. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a curveball. Um, 
Oh man. So um I'm gonna show my age here, but I um I saw Lauren Hill live uh when her solo album came out and this was like over twenty years ago that I, I saw this concert. Um and she put on a great show. And so I saw it at Walnut Creek. Um that uh you know, which is one of the best venues to see it to see a concert in. And so I, I still remember that, that, that show that she put on. It was it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, I I guess I'll go. Um best concert I ever saw. Remember last week when I mentioned I saw a concert at a, a legacy stadium in Wake in Winston Salem. That that concert was Billy Joel. I saw him there, and oh. that was the best concert I've ever been to in my life. Um, worst concert, I I don't know how I, I haven't really been to enough concerts to have a worst one because um, I've all I've liked all the concerts I've been to. So I don't. Same. I mean, I guess this is going to make me sound really really dated but uh i saw the almond brothers also that's a great great band yeah and they were they were good they were really good um (laughs) but it's it's also it's telling when the opener is better the opener was steve winwood he was better than the almond brothers that night the best concert the best concert i've ever been to was uh weezer and the pixies oh it's been about i don't know seven, eight years ago. Uh, that was a, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, I wasn't a real big Pixies fan, but uh, Weezer was really, really good. And the worst concert I've ever been to, Smashing Pumpkin. It was no really? question. Really? They were horrible. They were just, <laughs> li- they, didn't, they didn't play any songs anybody knew until they were like halfway through the set. People were oh, leaving. Man. People were literally leaving <laughs> and going away. This, it, just, it was terrible. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, the two contenders for the best concert I've ever been to. I saw Taylor in Nashville. She mm. that's a phenomenal show. Sixty five thousand people there. Obviously, yeah. uh, it's 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 the peak of concert production. Is yeah, a stadium show like that. That was a fun experience. Um, I also saw I've seen seen Zach Brown band. I'm not a huge country music guy. I don't know if that technically qualifies as country. It's kind of like on that. Jimmy Buffett esque country vibe, I feel like, uh, but they were they were excellent. They're very good musicians. Um, that was at the the coastal, the one in Raleigh, um, the coastal parkway. Walnut Creek. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a really. Those are both. Those are both excellent shows. Um, and the worst one I've ever been to. So this is the opener for Zach Brown. I don't remember the guy's name, uh, but. Okay, she just yelled it out. I do know his name, but I was saying I don't remember it because I don't want people to like find him from this because <laughs> I'm about to crap on him. So I don't remember his name, but he was like this grunge punk rocker that like decided to more more of like a, a heavy metal than grunge. I think uh, like these are a little bit different. Um, like he was like a screamo type guy, and he was their opener. And he decided to change everything about himself to be more country for this opening act. And it was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. He had like a, almost, it's like Brian Kelly. Brian almost, Kelly. Like, yeah. Act, yeah. It was really brutal and it did not fit the vibes of this place at all. Like it was like, I mean, it was like 
um, like jeans and flannel type crowd, uh, you know, drinking like, uh, you know, Natty Light and stuff. And this guy is like, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that kind of music, but like it just did not fit this vibe in any way at all. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it was very weird. Uh, and then the other one that comes to mind is I love this band a lot, but the concert was rough was um, the head and the heart. Excellent band. Love their whole discography. They're great. We saw them in August and we bought uh, um, pit tickets. Uh, so we were in the pit, the standing pit sounded like an awesome time. Uh, the head and the heart is not a band that you typically like go crazy to. It's, it's more of like a easier listening thing. It's not like a, like a party music you'd say. It was about eight billion degrees outside, and the humidity was was in the um, quintillions, <laughs> and uh, it it was like you were like sweating like instantly, and it was just a mosh of people, and like it wasn't like they were all just standing still, and you were just sitting there like soaking, and it was like it was really awful. Uh, we ended up leaving halfway through, which we did a disservice to the band because they were very good, but uh, that would be that would, that would be the uh, one for me. So I'll I'll say the the, the worst concert ex, it, experience I had not necessarily the the musician we I went to see Dave Matthews uh, maybe thirteen years ago or so and um, the the show was good but there was uh, my wife was like very clearly pregnant at the time and you know we we she was probably only like a couple of months from giving birth um, to our first child and there was a couple that was a few seats over from us and they were smoking the entire time and just like blowing the smoke, just like gutting it go uh, right towards us. And like it, it, we like moved our seats to kind of like show other people around us were being really nice and like being uh, helping to us coordinate, getting around, like having, you know, smoke blown in the face of a pregnant woman, like for, for three hours. And uh, then they would like leave and then come back and then continue to smoke. And it was just a whole thing. Um, but the show was good. If we're talking worst concert experience, I'm probably going to get judged for this one, but my college roommate had three tickets to a concert at Greensboro Coliseum. And so I tagged along, it was panic at the disco. And, uh, that's probably the worst concert experience I've had. Uh, besides, you know, I thought the, the, in terms of the the show and the performance itself, I thought it was fine, but yeah, I, I would do without my ears ringing for three hours again. <laughs> oh, I saw Leonard Skinner at a NASCAR race and they were so old. <laughs> I was like, they were, they were like, it was like a hundred degrees and they were really struggling up there. It was, it was, they were sweating and then they played the song. It was like that smell. And I'm like, what's that smell? I'm like, bro, it's you. Like, it's, <laughs> you're like, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but then they played Freebird at the end, and it was like, it was all worth it. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lotcast. No cement mixers next week. <laughs> uh, we will, uh, we'll have some Virginia Tech to talk about and uh, look ahead to what else is going on in the world of NC State athletics. For Joel, for Alec, for Assad, I'm Trey. Go Pack. Go Pack.